Great to be with you guys this morning. Happy Sunday. What a privilege it is to be able to gather uh, together and sing um, these songs about who Jesus is and to gather under the preaching of God's word and to see each other's faces. Um, and so just want to say it's so delightful to be with you guys this morning. Um, we're continuing through a sermon series called Incomparable Jesus. Some people would say incomparable. That's is it? Oh, I guess or incomparable. <clears throat> we we I remember we were sitting with all the preacher guys deciding what sermon series we we're going to go through, and everyone was debating how you say it, and so we all landed on incomparable. So we were all wrong. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, and so we're asking this question, and I'm going to ask it every week. But it's the question of who is Jesus, right? That, that is the, that's the question. That's the question that will be from, from until God comes back, and Jesus comes back on his white horse and his fire in his eyes and the sword on his side and his tattoos and he's looking all, you know, like a comic coming back and f- like letting everybody have it and rescuing us and bringing us into heaven in glory. And that will be the question that we need to ask ourselves for the rest of time because however you answer that question will determine how you live your life, right? So, you know, my wife is always cold, always. It can be mid-July, it can be 100 degrees outside, and before we go anywhere, she brings a big giant jacket with us in the car. And I'm like, what in the world are you doing, right? Because something is wrong with her internal, internal thermostat, and she thinks it's cold. And so because she feels and she thinks it's cold outside, she puts on a jacket, she walks outside, she looks like a crazy person, right? Happy crazy person. But it could be the opposite. If you're always hot and it's cold outside, you ever see these guys that are like wearing flip-flops and shorts and a t-shirt, and you're like, what is wrong with you, sir? It is like... 40 degrees outside, what is your problem? And they're like, I'm just hot. And however they determine their world around them is how they live their life. And so if they're hot, they're going to dress cooler. If they're cold, they're going to dress warmer. And in the same way, when we ask the question, who is Jesus, if we don't understand him rightly, if we don't understand the truth of who Jesus is, then we live our lives in such a way. So if Jesus is just the nice, you ever walk into Urban Outfitters? This is, if you don't know what a store is, this is the days about nine months ago you could walk into a store and you could like browse stuff and you know, there was all these things. And in this certain store, there's a store called Urban Outfitters and they have all this paraphernalia and all this weird stuff. But one of the things is they, they think the younger generation likes to kind of, like Jesus is cool, but he's not really God. And there's a t-shirt that says, Jesus is my homeboy. And it's like a cartoon Jesus, big old giant teeth, him smiling, going like this, right? And if we live our lives like Jesus is just our buddy, he's just a homeboy, then, you know, he's kind of cool with whatever. What's going on, Tim? What are you doing? <laughs> Never mind that man behind the curtain. <laughs> if we just think of Jesus as just, hey, the, the cool guy, whatever, then we live our lives like that. It, or it, maybe it's the other way. Maybe you grew up in a church culture where Jesus was just always grumpy. God's just always gr- cranky, and he's like this giant ogre in the sky, and he's waiting to crush you. He's just waiting for you to mess up. 
And so you're living your Christian life kind of like, oh, oh, God's not seeing, God's not watching, because if he is, he's going to be really angry with me. And when I try to approach him, I got to kind of come, I got to appease his anger and his guilt and all of those things. And see, if you don't have a right understanding of who Jesus is, you live your life deformed as a Christian. And why are we going through this? Because we want to understand who is Jesus. And we can't just answer that. Well, Jesus just is because there's a whole breadth and width of the depth of who Christ is. The beautiful thing is that Jesus is all of all who he is all of the time. He doesn't kind of like change from one day where he's really serious, and then one day he's always just kind of joking and telling jokes around the campfire. No, he's both like all of who he is all of the time. And so whenever we're walking through any kind of circumstance in life, we can rest assured that Jesus isn't fickle in his character. He doesn't one day, like, uh, I'm hangry today, so stay away from me, you know? How's Jesus going to be? No, he's always going to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's good news for us who put our hope and faith in Christ. So before I continue in this sermon, I just want to do a little family announcement that I totally forgot before we get up here. Uh, where are you guys? Hey, will you guys stand back there? Where are y'all? Um, Natalie and Jared have just recently got engaged. So, this is the question. You got to ask them, when you get married and when you having kids, right? That's what everybody always says. No, I'm just kidding. Congratulations, guys. Well done. We're so stoked for you. And I, I hope through this sermon series that I do. I do hope there's something of a challenge that's being put forth to you. Because, see, if you're not challenged by the character of Christ, I would say maybe you're not fully understanding or accepting all of who Jesus is. If every week you hear a sermon on Jesus and you just leave kind of like, whatever, that's kind of what I already knew, then you have grown a little stale, a little stagnant in your obedience to Christ. Because I don't think that we can look fully at who Jesus is and, and define it and then walk away and just kind of say, I don't need to change anything. And so this morning, there's, there's going to be some things that we read from this text, and whether you know them or not, my encouragement to you is say, Holy Spirit, please identify the areas of my heart that have either grown hard or cold, and where I've just kind of accepted Jesus as like, you know that saying, old hat, where I kind of think of Jesus just, yeah, I already understand that, and, and just it doesn't really change any. No, it should come to bear on who we are. It should come to bear on the way that we live our lives, and that's a good thing, okay? So if you find yourself this morning saying, wow, that's a challenge, that's okay. That's a means of God's grace to you to point out what this is really. It's a mirror, and we look at it, and we go, oh, geez, I had a, like, something in my teeth or a big pimple that, you know, or whatever it is. There's eye boogies, and you need to take care of that stuff, so... You okay with those words? It doesn't offend anybody. All right. So let's get into our text. Marianne helped us already this morning, but um, let's, let's read it together. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 16. And what we're going to do, like always, we just take little chunks, we chew on them, and then we, we get all the juices out of it, and we ingest it, and allow the, the Holy Spirit to speak to us. So we're going to 
go through portions of here of this scripture. It says this in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, speaking of Christ, where he had been brought up. And, Marianne said, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. So, Marianne took my first point. She did it really well. But the first thing that we have to see here is Jesus went to church, right? What? Now, he, here's the thing I think that we often do with, with Jesus is we kind of think that we, we get the Christmas story, right? Like, oh, we love this. It's, we're getting there soon, right? Advent's about to happen. We're going to tell the story that we've told for 2,000 years, and we're going to get all the feels, and all the little angels are going to like little naked baby angels blowing trumpets and all that kind of stuff. Oh we, oh, we love all that. We love the hot cocoa. We're going to tell this story, and we, we, we identify with Christmas because we love the fact that, G, that God is making himself known to man. He's Emmanuel. He's not just far distant. We love that. And then when Jesus gets baptized, it's kind of like the first thing, or we read here, it's kind of the first thing that came on the scene, right? But we kind of like, what happened in between these the birth, and then 30 years, so to speak. Jesus is just, we think somehow he's just kind of like in a cave, sitting crisscross applesauce, spiritually meditating, you know, and he's just soaking up like some kind of spiritual energy for 30 years, and then all of a sudden, he gets enough spiritual energy, and boom! What's up, everybody? I'm the Messiah. And they're like, whoa, what just happened? That's not what happened with Jesus. He's not like hiding in some spiritual incognito, like, you know, that's not happening. See, Jesus went to church as a kid every, every Sabbath. For them, it was on Saturday. And they, he would go, and he would be subject to the church community. Now, it says synagogue and temple, but that's our understanding. That would be for us on a Sunday when we gather. It's very similar. There'd be reading of Scripture. There'd be hymns sang. There'd be community. There'd be fellowship. There'd be communion in the sense of they're eating together and they're enjoying each other's lives. All of this happened, and Jesus grew up in this really small town called Nazareth. I mean, it was like podunk, right? Is that the word? Podunk. It was podunk. And I know that for some of us, we come to church and we're like, ooh, that was like, man, that could have been better, you know? Uh, did you see the sound guy standing on the speakers, you know? <laughs> Tim, I love you, brother. Thank you. you ever th- Just to give you some context here, Jesus grew up in a really small town, and in order to have a synagogue where you were, you had to have just at least 10 men to be in the, in the, the synagogue for it to qualify. And he was in a really small town. And so there were probably not more than about 10 people when he would go to church. And the guys that would lead that weren't the superstar, big-name Pharisee guys preaching. Because it was a small town, they put, like, the schlubs in there, right? They put the, like, uh, put, put Zachariah in there. He'll do fine. It's just Nazareth. Nobody needs to really... You think Jesus ever sat through some awkward synagogue Sabbaths where the guy getting up and is like preaching and he's like can't even find his notes and yeah. You ever think when they sang together and like, I mean, here's Jesus, the son of God knows everything. He is God. He's written this scripture and he's subjected himself to a community that is imperfect. Yet he went to church. I mean, that, 
I mean, that's an example for us, right? It's not just for me, Kelly, because you're the preacher. And, no, that, and I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning because you're here this morning, right? I wish there were people here who aren't normally here so I could say, why aren't you coming to church? Because they need to hear this. We have this little saying. I'll just give you a little, little uh, insight. hope it's not offensive to anybody. But we, we in, the, in the biz have people what we call two-by-fours. You ever heard? Marianne's like, oh no, where are you going with this? A two-by-four is a person who comes maybe 50% to church because they view the other 50% as like, well, I already went last week, so why do I need to go this week, right? It's a two-by-four, right? Maybe there's one-by-fours. Maybe there's three-by-fours. I don't know. There's all sorts of fours. But the encouragement to us is that this Sunday morning gathering, it's not an option. It's not an optional extra. It's not something that we should view and go, you know what, I kind of had my, my fill. I feel like God's more pleased with me when I go to church, so I went this Sunday and I tacked it off my list, and I feel good about myself. No, see, when you're not here, when I'm not here, when we're not here, it matters. Because we're called to be the church together in a community. Think about the Son of God. God himself subjected himself to an imperfect community. He didn't go because he knew the superstar preacher's going to be there that, that Sabbath. He went because he had a value and a conviction of being in church with his community. And that should be ours too. All right, moving on. That was free. If you're offended, go to Jesus. I don't know what to tell you. Go to church. The other thing we see here, let's read in verse 17 through 24. Let's continue the story. Jesus goes to church, as was his custom. And in verse 17 it says, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And then he says, he quotes the book of Isaiah in chapter 61. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let's keep reading. Verse 20. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. If there was ever a mic drop moment, right? This is one of those moments. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say today, to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? All right, let me give you the context of what, what's happening here. So Jesus has grown up in Nazareth. It's a small town. Everybody knows everybody, Right? And, and you ever, like, been in a small town where um, everybody knows your business? When we first moved to Houston, Houston in general is smaller. The culture just feels smaller. But in the specific area that we lived, uh, it, was a, it was a close-knit, what would you call it, subdivision. Um, and when we, we quickly realized that the whole southern gossip thing is a very real thing, right? So we moved into our neighborhood, and right away we started hearing like, everyone would say, did you hear about so-and-so? 
oh my gosh, did you see Tom was over blah, 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 and, and Jerry, I can't believe, and then, you know, like uh, Capri, did you hear this? And we're, I'm just thinking to myself, how in the world, first of all, did you get this information? And second, why are you sharing it with me? It has nothing to do with me, and it's just gossip. And this is the kind of town that Jesus grew up. It was small, small town. And a lot of these people would have known Jesus growing up because, well, why? It was his custom. He would be in the community. He wasn't hiding away in some cave meditating until he became 30 years old. No, he was involved in the community. And then all of a sudden he gets the scroll. They're all delighted. You know, like you see the neighbor's son and he's kind of grown up. It would be like of Judah. You guys have kind of seen him from a young age. He's always so cute. Look at him. He's sitting down here in the, in the crisscross applesauce, right? He's sitting there. He's listening. To, oh, it's his mom. Look how cute this exchange is happening. And then maybe 20 30 years go by and Judah comes back in and he comes in with confidence and he comes and he reads the scripture and you guys are like, hey, isn't that Judah? Kelly and Marianne's little boy? Oh, how cute. See, that's what they're doing with Jesus here. And we ask the question, who is Jesus? He's somebody who went to church, but not only is he somebody who went to church, he's not just the neighbor's boy. He's not just this cute little guy that we saw running around when he would trip and stub his toe and then he would cry and his mom would pick him up and he had this curly hair. We're like, oh, he looks like a little hobbit. He's so cute. And now he's all grown up and he's teaching us the scriptures. Oh, how nice. You ever heard this phrase, uh, familiarity breeds contempt? If you haven't heard that, that basically means the more familiar you, are, familiar you are with something, the easier it is to kind of just dismiss it. We often tell our kids, you wouldn't even treat a stranger like you're treating me right now. <laughs> and they go, well, that's because we know you. And I'm like, uh, okay. Wait a minute, what's wrong with the picture here? If you feel so comfortable with me as your dad that you could disrespect, I'm just throwing them under the bus this morning. You ever, but you know that feeling. You, you kind of show your true colors around the people that you're most comfortable with. Why? Because they're not going anywhere and, you know, all that kind of. And it's kind of the same thing here. What they're doing with Jesus is they're going, oh, that's Joseph's son. Look how cute. See, when we treat Jesus like either our homeboy or he's the, he's the, the Savior who came during Christmas and snow and the twinkle lights, and the hot cocoa. I love that aspect of Jesus. How cute. Oh, and all the donkeys. Look at the manger scene, right? And the, the cattle were lowing. I don't Is that the, the sheep were buying? And the wise men who were dressed to the nines come with all these presents. It was probably, there wasn't even a smell of manure or anything. No flies. It's just this perfect little scene. So Jesus is not the neighbor's son. Jesus is not just the Mr. Nice Guy, the cute boy who grew up and now all of a sudden has something to say. Jesus is God. Fully God. And when we have contempt for Him, it comes out in the aspect of dishonor, disrespect, disobedience, how many of you have disobeyed Jesus this week? I have. 
Why? Because my heart has not fully grasped the grandeur, the holiness, the authority, the demand of obedience that Jesus calls us to as his disciples. And when we, we tend to go to fork in the road and we're like, mm, Jesus or this thing that gives my flesh desire but pleasure and I choose the wrong one, it's because I'm not rightly understanding who Jesus is. Could you imagine if you fully understood the character and the beauty and the worth of Christ, would your life be any different? I think all of us should answer that as a yes. If it's not, then please come and pray for me and lay hands on me and whatever you have, man, pour it into my soul. Because I wrestle with this all of the time. It's always going to be this or Jesus. It's always going to be self-fulfillment or Jesus. It's always going to be me wanting to write my story or it's the story that Jesus has written for me. And when I choose wrongly, it's because I go, oh, it's just probably just the neighbor's son. When we lived in Houston, there was, this, <clears throat> there was this boy who would, I don't know, maybe he started when he was about 12, and he would cut people's yards. And he had, um, he had a bike and it looks like his dad or somebody put on the back of his bike, he made like a little trolley, right? And he put a lawnmower in there, and he put uh, some weed whackers and some lawn, and he would go around, and it had his name and a phone number, right? And at first, everyone thought, oh, this is so cute, right? I'll get so, I can't remember, let's go. Noah, Noah's yard service, right? Said it right there, and you would see him in our neighborhood, and then all of a sudden, you'd start to see him working, and we hadn't been there, we had been back for a while. It was after we'd moved, we, we had gone back, and uh, I had seen this boy, and all of a sudden, he was like, hey, how's it going, right? And I'm thinking to myself, this is the same little Noah that was in our neighborhood. He was like, can I cut your yard? You know? And that was like, yeah, you just, you need a number four here, but in like all the jargon, I don't know, whatever. He had a truck now. He's not little Noah anymore, and Jesus is not just the cute little Jesus. He's the Son of God, and we need to approach him as such. You guys doing okay? All right, let's continue reading. Verse 25 through 30. Where are we? Let me find myself here. This is what it says. Now, just before we keep reading, at this point, everything's fine. Everything's good, right? Oh, it's, it's Jesus. Look at, he was little. He was sitting there and reciting the scriptures. When he was a kid, and he read the book, the Isaiah, the, the scroll, and he did all oh, this weird, like, look at, oh, we're so, we're so happy with him now. It's about to uh, go a different direction. Verse 25 says this. Uh, if I can find myself here, it is. But in truth, Jesus continues after. Well, let's read verse 24, sorry. It, uh, it might not be on the screen. I screwed it up. They said, uh, you're so cute and blah, 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 and all of these things. In verse 24, and he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. 
And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down on the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. I don't know exactly what is going on here at the very end. Some, some of the commentators say because Jesus is fully God, he's able to like, kind of like go through the crowd. You know, I imagine it a little bit like the Bugs Bunny cartoons. Remember Bugs Bunny and the Tasmanian Devil and then who was the Wabbits guy? Elmer Fudd. They're all fighting and there's this dust storm. And you ever remember this? And then Bugs Bunny would just like slowly walk out of the dust storm while it's still, they're all still fighting and he's just like, hey, I'm over here. I don't know what happened here. That's free. That's not part of the thing this morning. That's just where my mind goes. Why are these guys so full of wrath? All of a sudden, this is cute little Jesus who we've seen grow up since a kid, and he's been in our neighborhood, and he's now all of a sudden he's coming in, and we're like, whoa, what the heck? This guy's really got some authority on him. He's preaching the word of God. He's able to open up the book or the scroll of Isaiah and just be able to point out exactly where it was. It wasn't like our scripture. It didn't have chapter and verse. The way it was written is like just long, 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 long scrolls that they would unroll. And Jesus was so learned that he was able to know exactly where he wanted to read from in the book, in the scroll of Isaiah. And he rolls it up. And that must have been impressive. That must have been, he's just like, boom, give me that scroll. Oh, right here. Boom. And by the way, Today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Uh, the prophet Isaiah was prophesying about a Messiah. That's me. Oh, that's so cute. He seems really nice. He seems like a really good Messiah. We're going to be happy with this one because we've seen him since he was a kid. And then all of a sudden Jesus says, by the way, let me just tell you something. Since you're dishonoring my character, since you think I'm cute, and I'm the kind of Messiah that fits all of your checks and boxes and everything you could ever wish for. You ever remember this in the church? I remember growing up in youth group and the youth pastor would say things like, make a checklist of what you want in your spouse. <laughs> Baby, you exceed them all. Remember that? I don't know if you grew up in the church, but it would be like, and you write all the spiritual things like, well, of course they love Jesus. That's got to be the most important thing. But second, they got to be hot, you know. And then third, and you come up with this checklist, and then you've deceived yourself in thinking, I'm so worthy of all of this checklist. And then anybody who comes through who doesn't meet all the, meet all the checklists, mm, nope, sorry, speak to the hand. And they've done this with the Messiah, and what they've said is, we want a Messiah who does X, Y, and Z. And so far, it looks like Jesus is the guy. We know him. When he becomes the king, it's going to be cool because guess what? He grew up in our hometown. Hey, I, uh, once, I once had to like pick the Messiah up 
you didn't know this, but I, he fell one time. I know, I was just there, just being a servant. Um, anyways, he fell down, I dusted off his knee, and now look at him, he's preaching all over the place, healing people. I told him he should heal people. I did, it was probably me. No, see, what happens here is Jesus knows the contempt that they have in their heart toward him, and what he does is he all of a sudden brings confrontation. And Jesus... He does two things in this. One, he lets, he, he lets the, the, the people listening, he lets them know, first of all, that he's a Messiah for all people. This is why they get so mad. This is why they're full of wrath, because he tells two stories. If you don't know what's going on here, he first tells a story of a time in Israel where Israel is disobeying God. Israel is far away. They're worshiping other gods, and God, in his wisdom, sends the, the prophet Elijah and there's a famine, and who does God send Elijah to? Israel? No. He sends him to the enemy, a stranger, a widow, a woman who in that culture would have seen, deemed very unworthy. He says, Elijah, go to this woman in this specific place. It doesn't end there, though. Jesus continues with the rest of the story where there's a leper who is, is suffering, and God sends now the prophet Elisha to a leper named Naaman, and he is the king of Syria, the enemy of Israel, and God doesn't heal Israel from leprosy. Who does he heal? The enemy of Israel. And Jesus points this out to them, and they're like, that's not the kind of Messiah we want. We want a Messiah who is pro-Israel. We want a Messiah who's going to cut down the enemies of Israel, the political enemies, but stick it to the Romans. Don't you see all this oppression? Because they wanted a Messiah that fit and filled their needs and their checkboxes. And Jesus says, listen, I haven't come just for Israel. I've come for all people. I've come that the enemies who we deem unworthy of God's love and his grace. The, the very people who have oppressed us for years, I've come for them too. Oh, and by the way, I've come for the religious elite who think they've got it all together. And by the way, I've come for the, the woman who's, who's sick and, and he needs healing in her body. And by the way, I've come for every single person who will accept me as Lord and Savior. I've come for them. It's not just you who feel like you've earned your salvation, who feel like you've earned your place with God. I've come for all people, and this made them angry. How dare you? Jesus also says hard things. <laughs> Why does that matter for us this morning? Because I've heard over and over and over, Jesus wouldn't ask me to do something that I'm not comfortable with. Jesus wouldn't, wouldn't like, Tell me to sacrifice my life. And yeah, like, I get it. I do all the things, but like, this one area, that's too much for me. That's really hard. Jesus wouldn't ask me to do X, Y, and Z because that feels wrong on the inside. And I'm not talking morally wrong. I'm talking like, mm, uh, that's a line I just don't want to. That sounds radical. There's really no such thing as non-radical Christianity. 
You don't see anywhere in Scripture where the Bible says, hey, this group of people can be nominal at best in their faith and obedience to Christ. And then this group of people is kind of like a little bit more than them. They're, they're like the guys who serve. You know, and then this group of people now, they're really radical. These are the guys that, you know, are like crazy. No, the Bible doesn't give us all these ladders and tiers of obedience to Christ. All it says is fully surrender all of who you are, even when Jesus asks you to do something that is totally contrary to your self-preservation. They didn't like that. Jesus says hard things sometimes, really hard things. And the, the baloney oil that the church preaches of come to Jesus and everything's going to be better. You're going to feel better about yourself. People, you're going to start noticing your bank account's going to get better. You're going to start noticing you're gonna, your job promotions are going to get better. You get all of that junk that, the, that has crept into the church somehow is such a lie because when you come to Christ, you come to Christ, you die. When you come to Christ, Jesus says, I want all or nothing. From Oklahoma. Some, you got, never mind. That's just, I'm old. Now, that can sound like, man, Kelly, that's harsh. That's... That is, I don't know if I want that kind of a Savior. Well, I would say to you, please check your heart this morning. If you have a heart that says, I will follow Jesus 80%, but that 20% I want to reserve for myself, please allow God to work on that in you. As a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus, we're, we're supposed to say yes whenever he asks us to do anything. And that comes from not just... This dogged obedience, while that we do need that, we do need to be doggedly obedient to Christ. It also comes with a security and a joy and a happiness in knowing that when I say yes to Jesus, Jesus is going to take care of me. Jesus is going to make sure every need that I have is going to be met. Now, I'm not saying that that means that you follow Jesus and he's just going to fill your bank. I'm saying every actual need. When he asks us to do something, he can and he will provide the grace for us to do it. So, I want you to live your life and surrender to me. Okay, Lord, that seems really hard. And Jesus, you're asking me to surrender what I is actually I'm afraid to give up and I'm afraid and I'm anxious about it or either it's making me angry and frustrated and Jesus says, no, I understand that, I get that. But I want you to know something that in your act of surrendering and in your act of sacrifice and in your act of obedience, I'm going to supply the grace that you need to do what I'm calling you to do because to be honest, you cannot do it on your own. You don't have the ability to do it on your own. That's what Christianity is. It's not God giving us a list of all these things that he asks us to do and then say somehow in your own integrity and in your own power and in your own passion, I want you to fulfill this list I have for you. That's called religion. See, the way the gospel works is we surrender our lives to Christ and then we obey because of the goodness of God. And then even in that, God's goodness continues and he says, all right, I've called you to a hard thing. Now I'm going to provide the grace for you. I just need for you to surrender. I just need for you to go, okay, I'll do it, and step out like Indiana Jones in the last crusade and he can't see the road, but all of a sudden it's there and he didn't even know it was there, but he stepped out in faith. 
said, listen, I provided the means and the grace for you. Now, oh my gosh, we're running out of time. I only had two pages. Only two. Let's go back now and let's read the Isaiah portion that Jesus quotes. And with, with lenses of who Christ is, let's take it and let's apply it to our lives. Remember, Jesus isn't the cute little, sweet little, like, you know, just never ever says anything confrontational. He's not the neighbor's son. He's not the, the Savior who's always therapeutic and like, how are you feeling about that? Oh, is that too much? Okay. You know, no. He's God. And with that, he has full power and full authority to be able to do whatever he said he will do. And here's a promise of what he says he will do. And let's read it again. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. What? To proclaim good news to the poor. See, Jesus here is saying, that prophecy Isaiah said years, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, it's about me. I'm the anointed one. That's why we say Christ. Okay, if you didn't know, when we say Jesus Christ, that's not his last name. Christ means the anointed one. Jesus, the anointed one. Jesus, the Christ. And he's saying, I'm the anointed, I'm the anointed because he's anointed me to what? Proclaim good news to the poor. Who are the poor? Is Jesus speaking physically and spiritually? Yes. When blessed are the poor. Why? Because they'll inherit what? The kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying, I know that those are disenfranchised. I know that there's those of us who are discouraged because you, you're poor financially. And guess what? I've come to give you joy even in the midst of poverty in this life. But it's not just physical. Jesus is coming saying, spiritually poor, there are those of you who are stuck in your sin. Those are those of you who have no strength in your own ability, which is all of us, to come. And I've come to do what? To preach what? Good news to you. That yes, you are stuck in your sins, but guess what? Yes, I've come so that you would be redeemed by them. Why? Because I'm not just the neighbor's little cute little boy who grew up. I am the Messiah. I am the one. I am the anointed one. I'm the one who's able to take away your poverty spiritually. Amen? All right. Let's keep reading. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. The liberty to those who are captives. Again, captives in sin. Captives to sin. We just sang it this morning. Sin had left a crimson stain. What? what? He washed it white as snow. We can't get the sin off of us without what? Without Jesus. Why? Because He's able. He's able to give us sight to the blind when our, when our we used to sing the song in the late 90s. Open, oh, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. You remember that? Mm -hmm. Some churches are probably still singing it. God bless them. Good song. Why do we sing that? Why do we cry out to God for that? Why? Because our hearts are blind. And Jesus has come where there is blindness in your eyes of your heart. The Bible says like scales. He comes and what does he do? He removes the scales off of our eyes 
so that we can see rightly. Proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And I love this from verse 19. Jesus the Messiah, not the cute little Joseph's son, says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is a reference to the year of Jubilee. If you don't know what the year of Jubilee is, every seven years in Israel, they say, that's it. All your debts are gone. Wouldn't that be awesome? Now, we would abuse that till, and I think God in his you know, wisdom, we don't have that anymore. But the year of Jubilee meant if you've accumulated debt on that seventh year, it's forgiven no matter what. And Jesus uses this analogy, and he says, I've come to proclaim the year of Jubilee, not just this financial stuff, that's just temporal. I've come to set you free a year of jubilee for eternity if you put your hope and your faith in me. See, the debt that you carry around, which is called sin, it's like the albatross around your neck. The debt that you carry around, you are not strong enough, you don't have enough spiritual wealth to be able to pay back the debt that you put yourself into. Because the moment you step into spiritual debt, which is sin, you are now locked in this avenue for the rest of your life. It's on your spiritual credit, and it can never be earned back to get your credit back up. And Jesus knows that for us, and he says, I have come, and what I'm going to do is put myself, I'm going to now be your creditor. I'm going to credit your account. Not only am I going to forgive your debt that you've accumulated in sin, I'm not only going to just wipe it clean, but now what I'm going to do, I'm going to do, get ready for this. I'm going to do something even better. I'm going to take your debt and I'm going to abolish it so that every time you're afraid and thinking, oh my gosh, it's hanging over my head. I can, never I can never pay this back. I'm going to pay for it. And then what I'm going to do is you see now you're ground zero. I'm not going to leave you there anymore. I'm not going to just leave you at zero. What I'm going to do is add to your account. I'm going to add. You're like, wait a minute, what? This isn't fair. This isn't right. I didn't earn this. And Jesus says, exactly correct. You could never earn it. You didn't earn it. But because of my love for you, I'm not only going to wipe your debt clean, I'm going to add to your account righteousness. Because when you were trying to earn it and and, and my Father in heaven who called me to call you to walk in obedience, and you're saying, this is hard, this is hard, I can't do it. I'm probably miserably failing. God says, I understand that. You can't do it in your own strength. Now I'm going to add to your account righteousness. So when God the Father looks at us, he doesn't see the sin or the slavery that we've been in. He doesn't see the lowly debts that we walk through. What he does is he sees Christ in us, which is called the imputed righteousness of Jesus, that has been afforded to us through what? The cross of Christ. Somebody should be saying, thank you, Jesus. Why is this, why does this even matter? Why, why do we need to know this? Because, friends, if we don't rightly understand Jesus, when we sin, what we do is our default. Like First John tells us, our own condemning hearts speak to us and say, you think you're all that in a bag of chips? No, you're not. I saw what you did. I saw what you thought. I heard 
this. I, 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 whatever it is. And our condemning heart goes, you're just a hypocrite. Not only that, the enemy comes to us and goes, you see, you're a pastor in the church? You see, the, you see what you, how you kicked your dog last night? Yeah, I saw you, I saw you kind of not tell the whole truth. It was a half truth. You're a pastor? Who do you think you are? And Jesus comes and he says, yeah, yeah, we need to work on that. We do. We need to work on it. Why? Because I demand obedience. I'm holy and I call my people to be holy. But guess what? I'm going to give you the power to do it. And every time we're your own condemning heart, the enemy speaks lies to you and say, you're just a worthless little worm. You're scum. Because look how bad you are. Jesus goes, hey, hey, I've forwarded to your account righteousness. I've poured out my righteousness. And so when you come to the Father and you pray, guess what? You can come boldly. Why? Because you're not coming on your own initiative. You're coming through the power and the grace of Jesus. Let's stand this morning.